first of all, hallelujah! It is, it's fourth and 26. McNabb is back. He's looking. He is firing. And it is caught by Freddie Mitchell. And Bazarchik fumbles the football. Welcome back to another episode of Sundays for the Birds, the only show that makes every day feel like a Sunday. I am your host, the mayor of John Street, joined by my boy, my dog, my motherfucking homie, Kyle, not so sharp. And before we get rolling here, guys, once again, we do not own the rights to the instrumental for, for those about the rock by ACDC, owned by Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, keep leaving us alone on Facebook. Thank you. Kyle, what's going on, bro? Good, good. A little disappointed. Uh, doing it virtual again. My car, uh, getting the seat recovered right now. So I had the rocket. problems, I understand. Yeah, yeah, first world problems. Like, I mean, it is what it is. So doing it here at the apartment. Um, need a haircut. Looking a little scraggly, but it is what it is. Yeah, by the way, you can't you can't do the show with a shirt on? Dude, I've been hitting the gym. I'm like my upper body starting really filling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, okay. yo, yo, y'all yeah, want to deal? Look, I've been killing it lately. Blah blah blah. Yeah, sit the fuck down. Like sit the chest and arms down. are really starting to come in, man. I'm I'm really happy with my body right now. I I don't know why you're hating, man. I I just don't understand why you why you got to do the podcast shirtless. Well, honestly, I just forgot to put on a shirt when I come home from work. It's just, uh-huh. you're on my own man now. There's no parents in the house, so it's like nobody has to tell me to put on a shirt. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm here to tell you to put on a shirt, so don't worry. So, so, somebody's got to somebody's do it. Next time, I'll make sure I have one. Sorry for my uh, my PG audience. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, so we're, we're back virtual um, just for this week. Um, but we could not skip the show for Kyle's driver's seat in his, in his Mazda. Um, so here we are. We're ready to talk ball. Fucking training camp started today. PFF throwing more shade at my boy Jalen Hurts. <laughs> CJGJ non-contact knee injury in training camp. Uh, whew, what else? Couple of camp battles to look out for early. It's going to be a pretty good episode for you guys, and we're uh, we're excited to bring it to you. So uh, let's just dive into it real quick. So. Uh, you heard me mention it there in the opener. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, former Eagle, uh, led the league in interceptions last year. Non-contact knee injury at Lions practice. Um, haven't heard anything yet, but obviously non, non-contact non knee injury can't be good. Um, 
you know, early indicators, at least to me, tells me he's probably going to be out for the season. Yeah. Um, so, you know, b- bad for him. You know, obviously he's on a one-year prove-it deal over there. Um, tells me the Eagles made the right choice in not re-signing him and giving him that big ticket that he was looking for. Um, and to be completely honest with you, you fucking run your mouth. That's what you got coming to you. So. I mean, he ran his mouth a little bit, so I, I get it. But I, I, I feel for the player, right? Because, you know, he he was a good player. He's young. And I always like it when players, you know, they take a one-year prove-it deal, right? They believe in themselves. They say, I'm going to get my bag. You're, you're not, you know, underpaying me now. So I, I always appreciate it when guys do that. It's a lot easier to take the one-year prove-it deal when that's all you can get, too. Well, yeah, that, that's true. But it just – it sucks. You know, you hate to see injuries, but it is what it is, right? Um, I, I feel guess. bad for the guy, and obviously, you know, you know, you hope nobody gets injured. You hope nobody gets hurt, but yeah, um, you know, I'm, I'm not as upset about this one as I as I would be about some other guys around the league. I can tell you that much. No, I got you on that. But yeah, it just goes to show the Eagles uh, kind of made the made the right decision there, not re-signing C.J. Gardner Johnson. Now, boys, we got training camp started today. You know what that means, Kyle? What does it mean, boss? It means football's coming. Football's around the corner. I stepped out of my front door today. I took a big old fucking whiff of that air. I said, whew. Smells like two-a-days out there, baby. Smells like fucking two-a-days. Boys are out there getting some work in, getting ready for the season. And uh, just means football is that much closer. Summer's kind of winding down to an end. Everybody getting their vacations in. Because uh, once preseason starts, we are locked the fuck in. That's what today smells like. Yep, one step closer to when the real football starts. Um, so first day of training camp today, what, what are you looking for in camp? Positional battles, things to watch for. What do you got? I think I think the big thing is going to be position battles. Uh, I'm really going to be paying close attention to what some of the beat guys have to say. Um, not so much ESP because he, he mostly just charts plays. And, yeah, I love ESP, but I'm sorry. If you chart offensive plays at fucking training camp, you're a loser. Um, <laughs> just just straight up, dude. Like, stop. Oh, he threw fucking four interceptions today. Dude, it's training camp. Stop. You push the limits a little bit so you know what you can do in the game. But anyway, you're getting, getting me off track here. No, I think the big thing is going to be positional battles, um, particularly at linebacker and safety. I'm interested to see, you know, who's going to be wearing the headset, who's making the defensive calls at the linebacker position, um, you know, who's kind of going to be that third guy in the linebacker room. You know, it's kind of – we well, talked about it a couple – Uh, for guys like Sean Bradley and Davion Taylor. Um, and with the safety position, I mean, you know, Sidney Brown's a, a pretty highly touted late-round pick here. Um, all indicators seem like he's going to have a, a pretty good, honest shot at one of the two safety positions. Uh, Reed Blankenship, we saw him in some limited action last year. Um, obviously, they felt confident enough in him that they let C.J. walk. So uh, interested to see what kind of reports are coming out, um, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, especially at those two positions here in camp. The offense, we all kind of know, is pretty much set. Um, the only thing I'm really interested to see there is who's kind of going to lead the lead the running back room. Yeah, the, I think the running back room, I think the starting guard spot, 
is going to be a topic. I think third receiver is going to be a topic. I mean, this year they have way more, I think, unset than they did last year at this point, right? I, I think safety was still a little bit of a question mark last year at this point. But other than that, I think they really had everything, like, you know, in set set in stone or whatever. Uh, one thing to touch on what you said is I, I did see that they said – Nicobe Dean is going to be the Mike, at least early in camp, right? They're going to use him as that. They're going to try to uh, integrate him with that. Who knows if that stays into the season, but, you know, they're putting a lot of trust in the second-year player out of Georgia. Well, you know, it makes sense because all, all reports are that this kid was the smartest guy. He was the leader of that that Georgia defense that, that some are saying is the greatest defense in the history of college football. Yeah, I, it probably was. I mean, if I'm being honest, that defense was unreal. I mean, it's like every player on that team is, you know, in the pros now. 100%. Um, you brought up something that's pretty near and dear to my heart, and that's going to be the third wide receiver position battle, um, which we just found out today that the Eagles had former Patriot uh, first-round pick Nikhil Harry in for a workout today. Um, you putting any kind of stock into that? Do you think it's a, it's a player that they could look to maybe to bring in? Or is this more somebody to, uh, you know, to kind of light a fire under Quez Watkins' ass and, and, and get him working hard, uh, maybe get him to polish that route running that is oh so fucking abysmal? So, so you never know with these kind of things, right? Like sometimes it's just – it could just be a workout, you know, but then the workout's the first thing that, you know, leads to a signing. Who really knows, right? I actually do like the player, right? He's kind of a little bit slower, but, I mean, he's 6'4", big, physical, wide out. And I really like them to get an outside guy, right? Because, yeah, I mean, it's not terrible. I'm just saying he's not like a burner or whatever. I would lighten it to like a Traylon Burks type speed or whatever. I think they're similar comps. Um, but, you know, Zacchaeus and, and Watkins, they're trying to play in the slot, right? And I, I really like Devontae Smith to play more of the slot. Not, not full time, but I want to see him in the slot more. So I think if you get a guy to play the outside. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that, that's again, that's really when he played great last year, right? Like when, when he slid to the slot, that's when he took off, right? He had 100 catches, um, super good value in fantasy drafts, right? He's going in the fourth round. I, I think he's going to have another great year. I think he's going to upset all new career highs. So I, I really do like them to figure something out so he could play in the slot more. And I think, you know, Nikhil Harry kind of gives them that option. Now, granted, I think Quez can play on the outside too. I think he'd actually be better suited for that. So I don't know why. You know, they're kind of trying to force him into the slot. But Zacchaeus is strictly a slot receiver, right? So, you know, I, I like the player, but he, he's not playing outside, at least not effectively. Right. No, I, th I think it's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, I, I like the idea of a guy like Nikhil Harry. Um, I just don't know if it's a signing that, that, that they're ultimately going to make um, with Quez still under contract. Um, it's such a low number. Mm. Right? And, and, you know, he's a draft pick too, right? So it's, it's a guy that you know, that they're obviously going to hold on to a little bit longer that they saw value in at one point. And, um, you know, it, it always takes a while to move off of your own picks. Uh, you know, it's, it's few and far between when you get like that Jalen Rager situation where you just got to cut bait. So, um, I don't know. I think Quez is still going to come out of camp as your, as your wide receiver three. Um, but I do like the idea of bringing in some competition for him. And, um, you know, even if, even if you use it just to add some depth, um, you know, Harry's a guy that's played snaps as a number one uh, up in New England. Granted, he's yeah, lim yeah limited. Yeah. He's played the number one snaps. You know, he kind of understands what it takes or, uh, or you know, maybe maybe now 
moving on, maybe he's got that that extra layer of uh, motivation. So interested to see what comes with that. Uh, you know, if they decide to sign him or anything like that. Yeah. So so we we talked about you know the positional battles. I think there's a lot of them. I think you're going to see that slowly play out throughout camp. Two things that I, I want to focus on um, that I think are going to be, or I don't know if they are going to be big camp storylines, but I think they should be bigger than what they are, right? Um, the first one, yeah, I want to see how the defense looks, right? No, no coordinate, new coordinator. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to reveal too much during camp, but I, I'd like to see something. You know, obviously it's still a scheme fit, everything. So I think that's going to be an adjustment, right? That's something I'm looking for first off. Um, and then second, I, I think, uh, you know, one player that I think is going to really stand out that I don't think there's a lot of expectations on is Kaylee Ringo. Um, we talked about when he was drafted, right? Like he's a fourth round pick, you know, super, super late for a guy that's like big, tall, fast, strong, played on the best defense against the best competition in the SEC. So I, I think he's a player that's going to really turn heads. Um, I know Josh Joby was back in camp. Uh, that's another guy that was from Bama last year that I thought was kind of drafted late, and I think he might turn into something. But especially Kelly Ringo, right? Like I th- really think he's going to turn heads. And in what's a a studded, I don't want studded or crowded cornerback room with some very good veteran players. They signed Greedy Williams, who was a former high round draft pick. I, I think it's going to be a really crowded room. I wouldn't be surprised to see him make some noise in camp, and at some point in the year, make his way onto the field and make some plays. So I know you're high on Josh Job, um, and I understand why the, the pedigree is there. Obviously, being a Bama guy, um, roll tide. But I just didn't see enough from him last year. And you know, with the addition of Greedy Williams and, and like you said, Keely Ringo um, is a guy that I really think is going to be a big part of this team moving forward. I'm with you on that. Um, I think he's a guy that is just your prototypical cornerback one. Obviously not now. It's a little bit of a project, uh, but this is a guy that you project is probably going to be your 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 CB one um, as we start to move away from Darius Slay in, in a few years here. Yeah, I, I, again, I liked Job. I just, I mean, he didn't, you know, make the cut last year. Like McPherson beat him, and who's the other guy that was just getting torched every time he was on the field? Right. Well, and the other thing is too, like Job didn't show up on special teams either, and granted. You know, I know Michael Clay didn't put any of our special teamers in a position to succeed, but when you're chasing down punts, like it's really not that hard to stand out. You just got to try really hard and make the tackles that come to you. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree. That from Josh Job, he seemed like a guy that was pissed off that he was on special teams. Well, guess what, motherfucker? You're an undrafted free agent, and you got to earn it. Yeah, There's no, no, hundred percent. Guys that get to wear midnight green every week, and you got to earn the opportunity to be one of those fifty-two guys. Yeah, I mean, I again, I think sometimes we don't talk about it enough how big of an adjustment it is for these guys. Like, dude, he was a starting cornerback in Alabama, one of the best teams in college football in the SEC. Like, dude, he's always been the guy, and then suddenly he's sitting on the sideline. Like, that's a huge adjustment for somebody, and I, I don't think that gets talked enough about with some of these players sometimes. No, I, I get it. But at the same time, you got to remember, too, like Bama's constant turnover of talent also. And, yeah, that's true. You know, he probably sat he probably sat and didn't play that much at Bama uh, for his first couple of years in college ball either. Yeah, probably his first year he didn't play. No, and, I'm you know, I'm going to go right. down a rabbit hole on this a little bit. But, you know, honestly, these guys that are coming out of college are getting 
weaker and weaker mentally, especially when you allow the, the transfers the way that you are now with this transfer portal. You know, oh, I'm not getting any playing time at Oklahoma, so I'm going to transfer to I'm going to transfer to TCU. I'm going to USC. I'm going here. I'm going there. They don't want to play me. Nobody wants to stick it out and win a position battle anymore. And now these guys are even weaker mentally when they get to the NFL. I don't know. I don't get See, it. I, look, I, I'm going to take – fucking compete anymore. That's the problem. Look, look, I, I'm going to take a hard stance here, right? Because I, I don't think it's a lack of competition. I mean, dude, if you compete and then they say, no, this guy won the job. I mean, if you have the opportunity to transfer somewhere else, you know, and play immediately, why would you not? You know, I always like to try to make things personal, right? Let's take it to work, right? Let's say I want a promotion. I go to my boss and I say, hey, I think I'm suited for this. He says, no, nah, you're not. He says, you're, you're staying there. Then I got another company who says, no, nah, yeah, you know, we'll make you that. We'll hire you that position. It's more money. Shit, why would I not go, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I get it's a different world, but kind of along similar lines, right? I don't think it's that guys aren't competing, but if, if you don't, if you get beat out rather than just be the backup, you know, you can go and be the starter. Now, I love the transfer portal. No, I, I understand it from that perspective, but the guys that are transferring two and three times. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes it's getting a little ridiculous. From competition. Yeah, yeah, all right, all right. I, I'm on board with that, right? Like, you know, when you're like an eighth-year college player playing for your fourth team, you're like 26 years old. I'm like, bro, you know, you should be have a family by now. Right, and and to, and to circle it back, circle it back to where this started with Josh Job. He did stick it out. He did stay at Alabama. And yeah, he did and he did win the starting job. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, like I think I that's said, a little I just different. don't see the effort from him on special teams. And if you're going to make it as a depth corner, you got to be a dog on special teams. Yeah. Um, so talking about corner a little bit, I see that uh, Zach McPherson, he's going to try to transition to a little bit of slot corner, add some depth for when uh, Avante Maddox eventually goes down with some sort of injury. Why you got to put it like that, man? I, I he, He's just – he's starting to become that player, right? Like, oh, I, I hate to say it, but – One season. He, I one feel like he – Where he was banged up. I feel like he's starting to become that guy, right? Yeah, no? Because it was once – it was last year. I feel like he's had injuries in the past where it's just like stupid little nagging stuff. I I, I don't know. I could be wrong. But any thought on that? I mean – The best slot corner in the league. Stop. Yeah, I'm, I'm not arguing with that. I'm just saying – but that's again for for a guy that's looking to make the roster as a depth corner, McPherson wanting to play a little bit more slot and be more versatile. That's what you got to do to make the team. Yeah, C- kind of like uh, when a wider certain wide receiver goes to play tight end, right? Add more versatility. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my god. So uh, tell me, I, you know, I told you Kelly Ringo, right? I, I think he's going to be a guy to watch out for in camp. You know, before we were on the pod, you told me, you know, Jordan Davis looks like he's lost a few pounds, might be a little more slimmer. Who's a guy that you want to keep an eye out in training camp, right? Like maybe somebody that might, you know, make a couple plays, might stand out, impress you. I'm looking for Milton Williams to have a big season this year. Oh, that's my dog. It's my dog. Talk I'm looking for Milton him. Williams to have a breakout season this year. I think this is the year where people in Philadelphia start to recognize Milton Williams and see who he is. I see it. I see the potential that's there, but I think this year he's going to have a bigger role and he's going to have a he's going to have more opportunity to get out there and make some plays. You know, Lin- Linval Joseph and Dominic Sue aren't coming to save the day this year. 
It's the guys that are in that D tackle room right now that are going to have to get it done. And I think it starts obviously with Fletcher Cox and, and the other big name guys. But I think Milton Williams is going to be the anchor as far as the depth goes at that defensive tackle position. And I think you're really going to hear some positive things about him coming out of camp this year. Yeah, he doesn't have the pedigree or the draft capital that those other guys do, but I absolutely love the player, right? I think he's a high-motor guy, you know, always in the right spot, you know, always hustles. I, I, I do really like him. I think he's going to be a key cog on the defensive line. Absolutely. Now, I got another one for you that, that I want to ask about, and this is kind of the opposite end of the coin. This is a guy that maybe you forgot was actually on the roster last year because he was out hurt the whole season. Derek Barnett's back, and I'm interested to see what the storylines on him are coming out of camp. Um, I'm interested to see how he kind of profiles. Um, again, when you talk about depth pieces, he's, he's kind of that, that first line of, uh, of reserves at, at the edge rushing position. Uh, so I'm interested to kind of see some of the storylines coming out of camp on him. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see where he's at. I, I think with the addition of Nolan Smith, I think he might play a little bit less, right? Like he's going to be a rotational guy at best. He's going to probably play a career low in snaps. But I am curious to see how he moves, how he plays, and what have you. Absolutely. Um, and, again, and again, it's probably going to be another one of those guys where this is going to be a make or break kind of year for him. Yeah, and I believe it's the final year of his contract, so he's a free agent at the end of the year. Obviously, he's going to want to prove something, get his little payday like they always do. Yeah, we'll see. I love when they get out there hungry, that's for sure. So uh, kind of moving topics, talking away from free agency. I didn't bring it up to you earlier, but I ju it just came to my mind, right? The Eagles let Miles Sanders walk, right? He signed a little pretty penny deal um, with the Carolina Panthers. And right now there's a lot of topics, a lot of talks about running backs and getting paid. What's your thought process on bringing in two guys who are kind of talented players but haven't proven themselves on less money and letting Miles Sanders go? And, and where do you stand on, on paying running backs? I am so glad you asked me this question. Oh, Okay. I'm so glad you asked me this question because I saw I saw something the other day. Um, the Eagles are paying their entire running back room what the Carolina Panthers are paying Miles Sanders this year. Mm -hmm. All right, so first and foremost. so And it's not like you have bad guys in there, right? And, and I think the big – I think the biggest part of running backs and whether you want to pay them or, or whether you should have an elevated guy at the position really comes down to the line that they're running behind, right? And we have one of the better run blocking lines in the league. I'd argue that we have the best run blocking line in the league. Um, obviously, last year, Miles Sanders led the league in yards before contact, which I don't care who you ask. That's a fucking offensive line stat. That means yeah. my man did not get fucking touched. Now, if you're an NFL running back, I don't care if you're a practice squad guy, you should be able to run behind that line. Straight up. So for me, you're able to save some cap space. You're able to, to kind of round it out, have a little bit more depth at the, at the position as opposed to one top guy and a couple of undrafted rookies and late round picks. Um, so honestly, I feel better about our running back room now than I did last season. Um, but I am interested to see who's going to be the number one back here coming out of camp. Yeah, I mean, it, it pains me to say it, right? Like, we know Miles Sanders is my guy, right? Like, I mean, you go back and listen or watch the pods from last year. I was always toting him. I always wanted to bring him up. Like, back to the PSU days, that's my guy. But, yeah, I, I think 
Yeah, I, I think it was definitely the right decision, right, from a, a cap space perspective. And I, I know there's a lot of topics on running backs getting paid and what have you, but I mean, at right. the end and, of the day, it's a with you, I think running backs do deserve to make more money. Um, you know, outside of outside of quarterback or outside of like the offensive line, it's it's really one of the most physically demanding positions on the offense. Yeah, I mean, it's just like you have so to understand pass protection. You get involved in pass protection. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, you're you're running through gaps. You're you're running. You got 300, 400 pound monsters trying to attack you on every play. Um, yeah, it's it's a tough position, and I do think they should be paid more, but. I don't think it's up to the teams at this point. I think it's up to I think it's up to the NFLPA. I think these guys deserve more money when they come out as rookies, honestly, because they're obviously not getting second contracts. Uh, so, these teams are using them up and throwing them away. And you know, I understand it. The team at the end of the day is going to do what's best for the team. Um, but I think the NFLPA needs to step up and do what's right for these players. So, so I, I got a couple of things, right? Like I, I hate when guys make an eight, nine, ten you know, $6 million a year complaining that they're underpaid. Right. Like I get their point, but like, dude, I go to nine to five job every day and you know, I'm not making six figures, you know what I'm saying? So right, that put everything in perspective too, because there's, yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. position group that's really not getting a second contract. No, no, I, you got to put everything in perspective. I just, and then everybody like, dude, and then I, I see people, it's like, I'm like, bro, you're making $40,000 a year defending this guy to the, the core about his millions of dollars. But I, I like what you said about something the NFLPA should step in because the sh- the, shel- the shelf life, excuse me, is shorter. So they're not teams aren't going to give them second contracts because they just don't hold up a lot of the time. So I think the NFLPA should set up something to where right out of the draft, they get more money guaranteed up front. Because, like, let's be honest, like you look at those guys like Zeke, right? Um, it's going to happen with Bijan Robinson, Bate Barkley. Like, their rookie deals are where they're most utilized. And that second part of their contract, they're, they're worn down. They're not the same player. So I think setting up something where they get more guaranteed money out of college would be a way to kind of replicate the issue. Replicate? Yeah, absolutely. Or, I mean, I, like I said, I mean, you're talking the NFL. A lot of these – now, granted, the, the average shelf life of an NFL player is two and a half years. That's the average career length in the NFL. Yeah, when you but factor in all the, the lower – That's a lot of quarterbacks playing 20 years – and a lot of Josh Jobs playing two and a half years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those numbers are really skewed. Yeah, 100%. That's that's a very top-heavy average. Um, but, no, I like I said, that's the only position group that's really not getting that second contract. And uh, I, I think it's the PA's duty to step in and, and get something done for these guys. All right. So, uh, you know, I think we've kind of talked about training camp a little bit. Let's talk about your boy Jalen Hurts and PFF's rankings, right? I, I get the clap. I know you're ready. I'll let you lead off with this one. All right. So not only does Chris Collinsworth annoy the shit out of me in the broadcasting booth, but now his company, Pro Football Focus, shows their continued hate for the runner-up in the MVP last year, the guy that put this team on his back and led them to a Super Bowl, the, the guy that led a team that's been aching for leadership at the quarterback position for nearly a decade. A guy that's gotten better every single year that he's played football. And they go and they want to rank him 
outside of the top 50 players in the NFL. Meanwhile, you got Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson in the top 50. Jalen Hurts is a much better quarterback than Lamar Jackson. And there's no debating it. Lamar has an MVP. Yeah, Lamar has an MVP because he was able to run around long enough for Hollywood Brown to run down the field and get wide the fuck open with nobody around them. That's why he was able to rack up the passing yards that he was. But at the end of the day, he's got a subpar arm and he's got golden legs. My boy Jalen Hurts couldn't do it all. And you saw that last year. And for this company to come in and they want to rank him outside the top 50, it pisses me off, and I know it pisses Jalen off. You won't hear him say it in the media, but that chip on his shoulder just got a little bit bigger. So I don't know if this is him still having to outplay his second-round draft status. I thought that would be over by now, but clearly it's not. Um, but he's just going to have to go out and prove everybody wrong once again. Are, are we sure PFF's a Chris Collinsworth company? I did I did not know that because I yeah. love PFF, but I cannot stand Chris Collinsworth. Yeah, Col- Collinsworth is uh, one of the top investors in PFF. Okay, so I mean, yeah, he, he you're a runner up for MVP. I, you know, in my opinion, you should have won it like you know before you got injured. Like he, he's got to be in the top fifty, right? Like that's just that's crazy to me because I'm pretty sure they're basing this off like last year's play too. Um, but I, I just as soon as I open the list, I just automatically like lose credibility when Trent Williams is like the third best player. Like Trent Williams is a phenomenal tackle, phenomenal player, but to tell me he's the third best player of the NFL, like I just I can't get behind that. He's not even the best tackle in the NFL. Yeah, like I mean, there's other guys that are on par with him, if not better. Like, but Lane you know, just to give some, pro- just yeah, I was just about to say, just to give some props. Homer, dude, he hasn't allowed a sack since 2020. Yeah, just to give some props to the Eagles guys that didn't make it, right? Like Lane Johnson, 15th um, on the list. Um, I think he's the second tackle. Um, they did have A.J. Brown there at 25, right? Like he's right they behind Stephon Diggs. Um, and then they had Jason Kelsey, 42, right? So they did show some love to the Eagles uh, with three players on there. Yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody that you would expect to make the top 50 made the top 50 with the exception of Jalen Hurts. I mean, for for me, right? Like, argue with the list much after that. So I I always say this when we talk football, right? Like, it's so tough. It's different from like baseball or basketball. It's so tough for me just to say these are the fiftieth best players in the NFL because a quarterback's job is so much different, and we put so much more weight on it than like, um, I don't know, like let's say a linebacker, right? And like an edge rusher, right? He does a different job than the tackle does. Like everybody doesn't do the same thing. So for me just to say like, oh, this tackle is better than this defensive end overall, like they do completely different things, right? Like it's such a hard conversation to like judge them on their play based off that in my mind. I agree 100%. And, and the other thing is too, like ranking secondary guys too, I always felt was pretty difficult because you really don't know whose responsibility it was on any given play. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. Because like sometimes you'll see a blown coverage and you'll be like, yelling at somebody like when you're watching the game and then you'll see him go over to the sideline and he goes right to the bench and then the coach pulls somebody else and yells at him right like you don't know the assignments and everything so right 100 yeah i didn't realize this was a chris collinsworth website but i did see the nfl's 
players ranked their top 100 players. He made that list. I saw that. So Eagles fans can uh, rest on there. And PFF also put out a second article that said players that just missed it. And Jalen Hurts was the first guy. He was the cover page to the article. Yeah, that was just to put out the fire that they started. <laughs> Sports radio has been on fire about that top 50 list all week. I'll tell you this. When, when Jalen Hurts plays this year, when he sets new career highs, um, A.J. Brown does what he does again. Devontae does what he's again. There's going to be no debate that he's a top 50 player that um, next year. So it, it rest easy on that. I fucking hope so, man. I fucking hope so. I can't um, Chris Collinsworth website. It's crazy. No, I saw something else the other day, too. It was ranking the top three wide receiver twos. And I'm interested to see kind of where, where you look at this. Um, the three names were T. Higgins, Devontae Smith, and oh, who the hell was the third guy? Probably Jalen Waddle. Yes, Jalen Waddle. Yeah. I'm interested to see where you put those three. Oh, that is so tough. And you're you're doing it to me on the spot. I know. So oh man. Just bringing this up because our guy Devontae is in there, you know. So I, I think just based off the numbers, right? I think I'm gonna go Waddle one. Devontae, two, Higgins, three. See, that's where I would rank them also. But I saw a lot of people had Higgins um, in that second spot. So, like, I, I just can't. I, I don't know. I, I can't co-sign that. I'm such a T. Higgins guy. And I, I loved watching him at Clemson. Like, and I, I'm, like, old school. Like, the big-bodied receivers that can just go up and they make a play. Like, I just absolutely love that. So like I'm a little bit of a T Higgins homer, but I think Waddle has to be one just based off the fact that he's been in the league two years. He's always been over a thousand yards. Uh, he had a hundred catches his rookie year. So I think he has to be the de facto one. Right. Plus he played half the year with different quarterbacks last year. That's true. Yes. Numbers. Um, so one thing that I kind of look at when I'm judging a wide receiver too is their ability to have a wide receiver one type game. And I yeah, think you I, see that more from Waddle. You see a, you see a few games a year where Waddle takes over, and I think you see it from Devontae. Um, we said it a lot last year. It seemed like last year it was either an AJ game or a Devontae game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think all three of those guys have capabilities of putting up monster performances. I think Waddle and Devontae did it a little more last year. But I, I just think Devontae having 100 catches last year, like T. Higgins has never come close to that. I think his highest is like 77, if I want to say, right, just off the head. I, I think I'd put Devontae two there. And, I, I th again, I think he's going to have a phenomenal year. I think all three of those pass catchers, Goddard, Brown, and Devontae, I think they're all three going to go crazy this year. That, that was a good, that's a good three. I like that. Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty interesting, too. I'm glad you were able to pull Jalen Waddle out of that because, like, Completely forgot. Not here. Absolutely. Um, so another PFF list that they put out was top 10 coaches. It was pretty accurate. I can kind of, I can kind of get behind it. Um, I think they had, I think they had Nick Sirianni appropriately ranked. Um, so just to go down the list in order, it's a quick little list here. Um, 
you got Andy Reid, one, Bill Belichick, two, Tomlin, three, Shanahan, four, uh, Harbaugh, five, Sean McVay, six, Dougie P, seven, Nick Sirianni, eight, uh, Sean McDermott, nine, and Brian Dayball, ten. So, a couple of things that stand out to me. First and foremost, Brian Dayball, it's one fucking season. It's one season, and you got your ass handed to you in the playoffs. I need to see a little bit more. Uh, Shaw McDermott absolutely deserves to be there. What he's been able to do up there in Buffalo is nothing short of a miracle, considering where they were prior to his arrival. Nick Sirianni at eight, I feel pretty good about that. Um, you know, obviously two pretty good seasons back to back there, but you still kind of question a lot. Um, you know, kind of what what involvement does he have in the offense? Um, his first year when he was calling a lot of the plays, um, the offense seemed to sputter a lot more. Um, so you question kind of the offensive pedigree there. So I, I understand eight. Dougie P7, Super Bowl champion, absolutely makes sense. Sean McVay, six. I think he's there for his offensive pedigree, not so much for his ability as a head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't really put him any higher because his team was hurt for most of last year. Uh, John Harbaugh, uh, him and Mike Tomlin are really the two guys you talk about when you reference the CEO-type head coach, so I can understand that there. But I got to be honest with you. Kyle Shanahan at four is a fucking sham. Oh, I disagree. Oh, dude, it's a fucking sham. This guy runs an offense that repeatedly kills quarterbacks. He can never win the big game. He's always... And not only that, he's running a team of a bunch of fucking babies. <laughs> His whole team is crying to the media. My quarterback didn't get hurt. Me, 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 me. Are you fucking kidding me? Well, hold you're on now. And you're allowing your team to parade themselves in front of the media and in front of the microphones, crying like a bunch of little bitches instead of getting their asses to work and prove everybody wrong next year? Whoa. Fuck that. And you're the fourth best coach in the league? Uh-uh. Oh, hold up now. I, th- I think we're letting a little recency bias get to us. Um, so, for, first off, you know, I get all the crying and everything. It's bullshit, whatever. But Goddard was just on a podcast recently where he was quoted as to saying if the field was less slippery in the Super Bowl, that they probably would have won. I mean, both teams played on the same field, right? Like, so I, I just agree. I, I, I want to let's let's pump the brakes on the Niners wine a little bit. On this podcast, that anybody that's blaming the field's a fucking idiot. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, but I mean the Niners are crying excessively. I get it, but dude, something's got to be said for making deep runs in the playoffs consistently, right? Like I get he hasn't won the big game, but like dude, they're constantly in the conference championship. Like con- you know they've been in the Super Bowl a couple times. Like dude, he's before Andy Reid won a Super Bowl. Would you call him the fourth best coach in the league? Because that's what I mean, Kyle Shanahan is right now. He's it's an tough offensive to, it's, genius that can't win the big game. It's tough to say. Probably not, though, if I'm being honest. Okay. There so, you like, go. I, I, I'm, I'm, I hear your point. So, like, I, it's valid, too. I'm, I'm not going to argue with that. But, I mean, there is only one Super Bowl champ every year. There's 32 teams. Like, you know, I get it. That's his biggest knock. So, like, if you want to downplay him a, fi- a couple spots – I'm I'm fine with that, right? Like I get it. Like I'm I'm a guy that prioritizes winning over everything. But I mean, there is something to be said that you're constantly in 
deep in the playoffs, right? So I, I maybe you don't want to not have him four, but I think he's definitely got to be top ten, right? No, I get it. I just think I think your number one job as a coach is to put your team in positions to win, and I think I think his inability to to change his offensive philosophy and allow his quarterbacks to continue to get hurt. Yeah, I, I think his Super Bowl game plan was you know kind of rough, like you said, continually leaving Hassan Reddick one on one versus tight ends was just a super, just not yeah, like him. It makes no but like, sense. Why would he, do that in the NFC Championship game? Yeah, I know. And I, I think that's really a big cloud over him right now. But he's normally a phenomenal play caller, right? Like, he's known for his X's and O's. Like, his his drafting and team management is not great. Like, you consistently see them draft guys, and then they draft guys later or have undrafted guys come in and take them over, right? Like, his player personnel is not great. But from a coaching standpoint, I think he's great. But uh, br- bringing it back to uh, Nick Sirianni, I think eight's a pretty appropriate rank for him, right? Like, I think he could be over McVay, but I think, again, you have the Super Bowl keeping him above Sirianni. But I think eight's pretty yeah, – like, he's definitely yeah, – like He's been to a Super Bowl with two different quarterbacks. Yeah, he, you know, he, he's definitely a top coach. You know, once he has the Super Bowl, then we can start putting him up there with, you know, other guys. But, like, he's right He's right in that, like, you know, him, uh, Sean McDermott, like, great coaches. But, like, until you win a Super Bowl, you, you can't be a top coach and. Right. You and know, again, there's question there's question marks around around Sirianni's play calling ability. Obviously, but see, see, giving it up halfway into his first season. See, I, I credit that to I how good of a coach he is. I don't think you need to be the play caller, but if you're gonna play if you're gonna call plays, you need to do it well. Like and I mean granted, that's to his credit, he gave it up because he wasn't doing well at it and it allowed him to focus on other areas on the team. I get it. Yeah, so, so, so I mean, we, we go through the top five coaches, right? Like, Belichick's not a play caller. He's a, a lock for top three coach in the league. Tomlin, he doesn't call plays. He's definitely a top three coach in the league, always, you know, consistent. Harbaugh, he doesn't call plays. He's top five, right? Like, so, yeah, I, I get people right, want to – All three of those guys have never done it. All three of those right, guys don't right. call plays. Or they, so haven't, I, done, they haven't called plays. I, I take the opposite well, I think Bill may have called defensive plays at one, at one yeah, point. He, yeah, I think he might have. But – I take the opposite perspective, right? Like you're a first year head coach. You were hired because you were an offensive guy. And like to be willing to like have that level of like acknowledgement where like a couple games in the season, you're like, dude, it's not working out with me calling plays. Let me step back and let somebody else call plays. Like that's just such a mature and such like a, like so many people would have an ego, right? And be like, nah, I'm the fucking guy right here. Right. So like I, I show that as how good oh, of a coach he is. Yeah, exactly. Like, I see that as how good of a coach he is, that he's willing to take a step back. He views the picture and says, you know, this might be better for the team. So I, I absolutely love that, um, just to give him credits on that. And you're talking on an ex-Eagles guy, Doug Peterson, right? Like, won a Super Bowl in Philly, kind of went downhill, like whatever. But then he gets a spot in Jacksonville, turns Trevor Lawrence, you know, you know, he had a bad you know, year one, turned his year two around. And put him in the playoffs, right? Like phenomenal coach. He's absolutely a top coach. Sure. I love that. I love that ranking for him. I, I think Doug's downfall, honestly, and this was his downfall in Philly. He's too loyal to some of his to some of his staff guys. Like you can't mm-hmm. always promote from within. If the guys from within ain't it, they ain't it. Um, you know, you you saw that with with his last batch of coordinators in Philly. Yeah, um, I, I think they, every they guy's got organization kind of take away his power to name his coordinators. So. 
Yeah, I think every guy's have got, uh, you know, some kind of handicap to them or some kind of thing they're not great at. I definitely think that's Doug's thing. No, for sure. Now, wh- while we're on the coaching subject, I- I'm interested in your thoughts. Um, again, because Sirianni doesn't call plays, um, for one, that makes the Eagles a-, a pretty attractive option if you're looking to get a coordinator job somewhere and eventually move up and become a head coach. Um but obviously, you know, if we have another good season, it wouldn't surprise me if Brian Johnson wasn't interviewing for some head coaching jobs, right? So something to think about there. And my question to you is, does it become a problem down the line? Because if you're changing coordinators out every, you know, every one, two, three seasons, you know, can you really have that continuity? unless you're continually promoting from within. But like I mentioned with, with some of Doug's staffs, there's not five offensive coordinators on every staff. Yeah. You're lucky if there's one future offensive coordinator on your offensive staff. So just, just something I wanted to run by is another thing that I've kind of heard around the media lately. So it, it can be a problem if you let it be a problem, right? You know, if you're – bringing in guys and you're saying like, listen, you saw what worked last year. You know, we know what our offense is. Yeah. You can add your own little wrinkles, but yeah, yeah, that's fine. Like I get, you want to make your mark, but you know, this is our core and this is what we need to stick to. And if they're upfront about that and you know, that keeps in, that's fine. I mean, I, I think you've seen it in Buffalo where they're on their third offensive coordinator, I think in the last five years. Right. But they maintain that, that similar offensive philosophy. Exactly. Exactly. So I think you have to have a firm grasp on it. But if, you know, you let some guy come in and he wants to change everything, it's like, well, dude, we've been a top offense in the league now, you know, third year running. Why are we switching everything up? Like, yeah, you got to make your mark. But, like, a lot of the things should stay the same. So it's a potential problem, but it's also something that, you know, there, there's no problem with being, a, you know, a ground for offensive uh, or for head coaches' jobs, right? Like, I think that's good. Yeah. And, I, and I think with Sirianni being an offensive guy also, I think he's going to be able to – you know, pick and choose the guys that kind of share a similar philosophy that he does too. Yeah. Like I, I think just because he's not calling the plays, that doesn't mean he's not involved in the game plan. Like, right. He's still involved in it. I'm no, sure he has input. Involved yeah. in the game plan. And, and I'd argue that's probably his greatest strength um, is his game planning. Uh, I mean, you, you saw it last year, this team came out and punched teams in the mouth early, which was yeah, second quarter scoring was off the charts all year. Yeah, absolutely, and um, you know you kind of saw you kind of saw that plague the Eagles um, in some of the Doug years, right? Like we didn't really come out strong. We weren't a great first half team, um, but I think you really saw some great game plans from Sirianni last year. And, and again, I think that's probably one of his greatest strengths as a head coach. Yeah, so if, if he's in the room, you know, and he's he's pointing it out and he's laying down the, the game plan and helping out, I, I don't think it'll be a problem. But like I said, it could it could be for sure. Absolutely. And like I said, too, I mean, with with the ability with the ability to to call plays when you come in here as an offensive coordinator, I think it's going to be a pretty attractive job around the league um, for years to come here. Yeah, you got Um, young players, talented players, great line like it's one of the best jobs, if not the best out there. Absolutely. No, that's good. Just wanted to get your thoughts on I think we're kind of on the same page there. Absolutely. All right, you got anything else? Uh, anything else on training camp? Uh, anything else you want to bring to the people here before we leave? Nah, man, I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to go cook me some grub. Got to feed this body to maintain it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're going to go eat a fucking gallon of cheese balls. No way. <laughs>
Uh, I got pork chops for dinner. I'm eating healthy now, man. Oh, look at you. Look at you. Well, I'm gonna go drink a beer because a wise man once told me there's a uh, there's a pork chop in every can. So I think I'm gonna go have me a dozen pork chops. A dozen. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, but no, uh, we can't appreciate everybody for rocking with us live here enough tonight. Facebook, uh, YouTube. I'm sorry, Facebook, Twitter, live. Uh, YouTube will come back someday, somehow, somewhere. Uh, still working on getting that figured out. Uh, but thanks, everybody, for rocking with us here live tonight. Uh, we'll catch everybody over on Spotify. Make sure you like, subscribe, rate the podcast, be a friend, tell a friend, let them know where they get the best Eagles talk in the city right here, Sundays for the birds. We'll catch you guys right back here in two weeks, hopefully with some hot training camp updates. See you on the other side.